Chapter Three of East by West: A Journey in the Recess, Volume Two, by Henry W. Lucy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: By Sea and Land to Kyoto. We left Yokohama in the late afternoon. The bay looking more beautiful than ever in the sunlight, shining out of a sky blue as any spread over Naples. We were bound for Kyoto the ordinary way of going thither is to take a steamer to kobe in one of the large and well-appointed mitsubishi steamers and proceed thence to shanghai but we resolved to go something out of the beaten track take steamer as far as yokaiichi and thence across country by jinrikisha to kyoto the sea voyage to yokaiichi is not unfamiliar to japanese but is not often taken by europeans with the natural consequence that there is no accommodation for them our steamer was an old tub of two hundred and fifty tons the saloon was approached by an uncompromising ladder and luxury was aimed at by the disposal of sofa bunks round the stern in pleasing contiguity to the screw of course there was no stewardess nor any regular steward that i was able to identify the office seemed to be in commission and when any boy happened to find time hang heavy on his hands he took a turn at steward's work our berths were small cupboards opening off the dining-room table each was fitted up with two narrow shelves which i thought were for books or plates it was presently made clear they were for us but it did not much matter it was rather promising in the way of fun and excitement we had only one night to sleep here and everything was big enough and nice enough for a twenty hours trip in summer seas like that on which we were even now gliding the foreign minister came off in his steam launch to say good-bye an unaccustomed visit which greatly fluttered the captain and crew the captain was so much impressed that he immediately placed his berth at the disposal of the lady of our party the berth was more commodious having at least three inches more beam but as the kindly offer was not accompanied by preparations for changing the bed linen it was declined before we reached the gate of the bay of yeddo the beauty of the scene had wondrously increased on the right the sun was setting flooding fuji and the mainland in crimson and gold on the left the moon had already risen a globe of luminous silver set in the blue firmament thus we sailed forth between the risen moon and the sun not yet set the bay hardly touched by a ripple was alive with sampans with their sails fully set tripping gaily home before the gentle breeze wafted inward from the pacific the only member of the crew of our steamer with whom it was possible to converse was the engineer he was the inevitable scotchman and had been many years in the native coasting trade he had not improved his opportunities of learning japanese but he got along very well he said he was evidently taken aback at seeing a lady appear to take passage on the ship but after the first shock he became violently prophetic of a good passage and things generally going off comfortably oh you'll see it'll be all right he said to me in an argumentative tone as if i had been affirming the contrary 
whereas I had not even broached the subject. "'You see all those junks out there? "'Well, that's a sign of good weather. "'You don't see many out when it's rough.' "'But they're running into port,' I said. "'Yes, of course they're running into port,' he replied. "'It's getting dinner-time, you know. "'Oh, we'll have it pretty fine, you'll see, "'and your lady will be right comfortable.' "'Besides, if it comes on to blow a bit, "'the captain will run in under the lee of the land. "'Given your lady his berth, hasn't he?' "'I said he had kindly offered it. "'Ah,' he said, nodding as if that were conclusive of fine weather, "'then he's going to be on deck all night.' "'We had a large number of Japanese passengers "'who seemed to fill every nook and cranny forward.' A pleasant-looking family, fearful of the closeness of the steerage, had built their soul a lordly dwelling-house over the hatches amidships. They had piled their luggage round and planted themselves in the middle. The walls were not very high, but at least they served to mark the limits of their domain. There they sat, the father blandly smiling at the fair scene around, the mother tidying up, and the little boy, with his head shaved, save for two locks over either ear, which were nicely oiled and combed. I was very glad to think, as I looked on this family scene, that we were going to have such fine weather that the captain was making preparations for spending the night on the bridge. It would be a terrible thing if the vessel rolled and pitched, breaking down the house of cards, inextricably mixing up the little boy with the luggage and spoiling his hair. Worse still, if cruel seas were to come over and wash the decks. Presently, as we came nearer to the bar, and could faintly hear the boom of the Pacific rollers on the rugged coast, a tarpaulin was slung over a pole, covering in the scene of domestic felicity. They had a lantern, and, peeping through a chink, I discovered them smiling more vigorously than ever. Never had they been so comfortable on board ship, and they were more than ever pleased that this happy thought had occurred to them, and that they had not pigged in with their countrymen in the hold. Ito was so charmed with the idea that he made a nook for himself also under the tarpaulin. He is growing quite fastidious on the subject of fresh air, and talks pityingly of the people down in the hold. These, we could see through the open hatchway, were already at dinner. It was served in easy fashion. There were a great heap of little wooden trays with four divisions. The cook, kneeling beside a wholesale quantity of stores, dipped his hand into a bucket and filled one receptacle with rice. Into a second he fingered two bits of boiled fish, a third he filled with vegetables, and into the fourth he, with more discriminating hand, placed some of the evilly smelling pickles which the soul of the Japanese loveth. The boxes were piled one on top of another till they were as high as they could be carried by an able-bodied seaman, who took them into the hold and distributed them to the passengers. As for ourselves, we had contracted for European food by payment of two yen a head for the voyage. An appetizing duck hung from the rigging aft, giving promise of generous supplies to meet the healthful appetite born of fresh sea air and smooth seas. The sun had gone down when we reached the harbour bar, but the west was golden yet, and the moon, nearing its full, 
was brightly shining out of a sky as blue as if it were noonday as we crossed the bar the little steamer began to throb and leap about in an unexpected manner the duck hung on to the rigging wagged its head in a forlorn manner as if it did not like the prospect at all but the engineer was even more energetically hopeful a narrow place this you see the tide running in like as if the pacific was trying to crowd itself into a mill-pond but it'll be all right by and by you'll see besides our captain can run in if he gets it too hot this was satisfactory as far as it went but why should the captain want to run in on a night so fine that he was tempted to remain on deck it'll be all right you'll see the engineer persisted tightening his tarpaulin trousers which he had put on since i saw him last i never remember to have seen an engineer in tarpaulin trousers but then i had never before seen the sun and moon brightly shining in the heavens at the same time autre pays autre moeurs perhaps in the coasting trade of japan the engineer always clad himself in tarpaulin when the night was expected to be exceptionally fine we cleared the bar and got out into the full sweep of the pacific but things did not seem to improve it was almost as light as day and far around was the dreary waste of waters leaping out and breaking into foam it was getting near six o'clock and a savoury smell came from the galley the vessel was not only rolling but pitching that however was not much to travellers who had crossed two oceans we walked up and down the little deck determined as we said to get an appetite for dinner it was not much of a walk at best and was momentarily growing shorter as the spray began to break across the deck forward the hatchways were closed and the men were battening them down making it comfortable for the crowd below i peeped through a chink in the tarpaulin to see how the japanese family were getting on they were not smiling now being too busily engaged in the effort to keep their walls up sometimes a box would roll off on the port side and whilst they were refixing it a bundle placed aft would drop down upon them as the steamer buried its miserable little nose in the sea i was conscious of the engineer watching us as we paced the deck but whenever we approached the engine-room he disappeared he was evidently as anxious now to avoid conversation as he formerly had been to open it at four bells we turned in for dinner we had been very cheery on deck perhaps a little ostentatiously at our ease staggering about with the heaving ship but when we got to the bottom of the ladder and were standing in the close and narrow saloon the gaiety of the company was eclipsed the last thing i saw as i descended was the duck shaking its head more violently than ever with an expression of idiotic bewilderment that haunted me through the terrible night we were not however going to give in without a struggle dinner was on the table and we would at least sit down making talk of ghastly cheerfulness and eyeing each other suspiciously 
we ate our soup and eagerly discussed its relative merits with those of various other soups we had eaten under circumstances we were at curious pains to remember and recite two courses followed one of mutton the other of veal i forgot which was the veal but it did not matter it might have been called turtle-fin with equal accuracy of reference to its flavour at this stage the lady of the party retired another course arrived of some undistinguishable meat i am not sure that it was not the veal back again having passed out at one door and in at the other after the manner of an army of supers at country theatres the young gentleman from glasgow though unusually silent did fairly well he had paid for his dinner and the commercial transaction would not be completed unless he ate it something else came on perhaps cheese peradventure an orange the cook was determined to rise to the occasion and show the friends of the foreign minister what could be done on board this ship to this end he had manufactured three small tarts of very pale complexion which by way of luring on the appetite had been placed on the table with the soup these tarts were always slipping off the table being rescued from under by somebody and replaced on the dish i have a fancy that they were not quite so pale when i first saw them but with the cabin bobbing about in this style the ceiling coming down to the floor the floor going up to the ceiling and occasionally the port or starboard side taking the place of the ceiling even a tart made of tinned greengages might be excused if it gradually lost some of its fresher tints i meant to sit out the young gentleman from glasgow but when i saw him take up one of these tarts with evident intent of eating it i left it was not easy to get fixed on the plate-shelf but it was done at last and i even got to sleep from time to time it seemed at least every hour i was awakened by the thuds of the sea as it thundered down on deck and with a rushing noise swept backwards and forwards till it finally cleared off alas for the hapless japanese family with their frail tenement of boxes and their poor shelter of tarpaulin it was piteous to think how the night must have sped with them and with the other poor wretches battened down in the hold there was no limit to the variety of the motion of the little tub adrift on the angered ocean there is among sea-going passengers a difference of opinion as to whether pitching or rolling is the least bearable we had both in succession with a quite new and original motion as if the vessel were trying to jump sideways over a yawning chasm and always failing was pitched ruthlessly to the bottom of the abyss once the bows coming upon a roller were pitched so high that the vessel seemed literally standing on end there was a moment during which i distinctly felt it poised trembling in every plank undecided whether since it had come so far it was worth while going back and whether on the whole it would not be better to go over backwards as a rearing horse sometimes falls on its rider 
i remember assisting at the deliberation without particularly caring how it ended the force of habit prevailed and the vessel righted herself and by way of change began to roll thus the night wore on and thus in slightly modified degree the day was spent i heard afterwards that the captain had vainly tried to run for shelter into a little fishing-port on the coast but wind and sea proved too strong for him he could not fetch the port could only lie out with the engines at full pressure driving the ship along at the rate of two miles an hour the night continued light whereby possibly catastrophe was averted but what with the waves constantly washing over the steamer and the spindrift blinding the lookout man it was hard to see where we were going the young gentleman from glasgow got up and went resolutely to his breakfast i remained on the shelf and spent quite a pleasant day eating a pomelo and reading mr edmund yates's land at last the cupboard though a little close with the door shut had some corresponding advantages for example you might if you liked having opened the door step out of bed on to the dining-room table an arrangement which i do not remember to have seen perfected even in the best appointed houses in england short of that you might lie in bed and making a long arm help yourself from the breakfast-table thus i obtained a woodcock on toast it is well there was toast as there was singularly little woodcock the young gentleman from glasgow ate five and then took some dubious compound labelled jam i never saw such a fellow for puddings cakes jams and other unwholesome compounds i believe that if the worst had come and struggling in the water some one had thrown him a plank and a gooseberry tart he would have gone for the gooseberry tart we were to have reached yokkaichi at two o'clock at noon we were still out in the open sea and it was clear that if ever we reached yokkaichi at all it would not be till after midnight the wretched engineer had now gone round on a fresh tack and was as despondent as he was yesterday hopeful the gale had considerably abated but it had left its mark upon the waters through which the little vessel floundered the engineer for our comfort sent down word that the comparative quietude now prevalent would not last very long a spit of land was sheltering us from the full wrath of the sea but when we rounded the point now within view we should have it all under these circumstances it was better to stop on the shelf where i felt no discomfort except when the captain and officers came down to their meals then we were obliged to shut the cabin door after waiting till we had rounded the point and nothing particular happening we got up to dinner and did very well the melancholy duck turned out excellent and there were some more pale tarts for the young gentleman from glasgow it was now announced that we should be at yokkaichi at midnight and the question arose whether we should stay on board another night or straightway go ashore it was decided that we should sleep on the shelf once more a prospect the less appalling since we had now got into smoother water and by midnight the steamer would be at anchor in the bay 
this was a resolution we subsequently had occasion to regard with thankfulness ito undertook to go ashore as soon as the steamer had dropped anchor and arrange for an early start in jinrikishas in the morning i did not question ito too closely about his experiences they were in truth written upon his face and in the pervading limpness of his bearing amongst the experiences crowded into his yet young life was a brief sojourn on an english man-of-war he had he believed permanently gained his sea-legs on this cruise and on boarding the steamer at yokohama had assumed a certain rakish nautical bearing that was quite reassuring one felt that if anything happened to the captain or the engineer it was well that ito was on board but there is no use in disguising the fact that ito like some other seasoned sailors had been utterly routed during the storm and he was now eager to go ashore at the first possible opportunity in the early morning between one and two o'clock i was awakened by a tremendous hubbub on deck men ran about wildly shouting half a dozen captains seemed giving orders at the same time the noise lasted five or six minutes when it ceased as suddenly as it had arisen and a deep silence fell over the steamer now at anchor in the bay it was clear enough what all this meant a fleet of sampans had come up to take off passengers had clamorously got their fares and had gone away i turned over and went to sleep in the certainty that the faithful ito would come off for us at six in the morning when i awaked it was already half-past six and ito had not come whilst we were taking a cup of tea and a biscuit a japanese entered with profound bows and made a long speech with the assistance of the chinese cook we made out that ito had sent him off to bring us ashore this seemed strange as ito was not accustomed to delegate part of his duty to others there was however no help for it so we went off with the strange man being sculled across the bay in a sampan that threatened to upset with every motion of the oar it was a grey morning with clouds lying low on the hills the bay was large and singularly lonely the only shipping it contained beside our own never-to-be-forgotten craft was a junk of fantastic form with rudder standing out from the stern at right angles as if after prolonged bickering it had come to the conclusion it would have nothing more to do with the ship this appearance was due to a habit of the japanese mariner of hauling his rudder up out of the water so as to save wear and tear whilst at anchor we anxiously scanned the quay in search of ito but he was not among the group gathered there this began to look serious it was certain he would be there if he were alive and could walk apprehension was increased by the replies of our guide to persistent questions of where's ito he invariably pointed to the water with finger downward which could only mean that ito was drowned this was a saddening conviction what was to become of the poor old mudder and her provision for daily prayer when the staff of her life was lying under the dark waters of this gloomy bay our guide on landing led us to a tea-house close by the quay here surely we should find ito if only his body 
but there was no sign of him and nothing could be learned from the crowd that gathered round us at the door the guide made signs for us to enter the jinrikishas that were waiting a step we were not inclined to take not knowing whither it would lead and anxious above all things to get some clue to ito's whereabouts after some delay and finding explanation hopeless we thought it best to go on and were whirled through the narrow and dirty streets for a distance of about a mile we drew up at another tea-house and there arrayed in a miscellaneous costume of borrowed garments with his teeth visibly and audibly shaking in his head was the lost guide his story was brief but thrilling the steamer had brought up at her moorings about one o'clock in the morning two or three sampans came along to take off passengers who crowded in the gangway anxious to leave the ship on any terms critically surveying the scene ito had sagaciously come to the conclusion that the first sampan was dangerously overladen he awaited the second into which sixteen people all told managed to pack themselves there was a big swell on in the bay a legacy of the gale of the previous night the stern of the sampan was driven under the lower step of the gangway there was a violent shove a loud shriek and in an instant the sixteen passengers were floundering in the water ito went down under the boat and he added i thought i was never coming back again but he scrambled out as did thirteen others for it was bright moonlight and there were several sampans round unhappily a woman with a baby on her back sank and her body had not been recovered when we left the village this sampan we remembered was the one we should have gone in had we arranged to go on shore at night i do not know whether the passengers were invited to return to the ship and change their clothing before proceeding what is certain is that the sampan being righted they got in and huddled together dripping wet under a bitter cold wind coming down from the mountains were sculled across the dreary two miles that separated them from the shore when he reached the quay ito had to take a drive in a jinrikisha to the tea-house where we found him and where he arrived more dead than alive at half-past two in the morning whilst under the water he lost his pocket-book containing his reserve cash and worse still the silver watch miss bird had given him as a memento of his journeying with her across unbeaten tracks but the philosophical mind that had unruffled heard of the destruction of his house and the burning out of his mother remained unshaken tried by fire and water ito came out equally uncomplaining it's a bad job he said as he turned his garments over the fire and extracted the last drop of water out of his shoes but it can't be helped the worst of it is this here salt water takes such a long time to dry ito concluded to finish the drying of his clothes as he went along and we got under way a little after nine o'clock the district greatly differed from what we had seen further north the houses in the village were meaner in appearance the people were poorer and less light-hearted houses were built of a hard wood that turned grey like oak imparting a dead monotony to the scene 
as we got further inland the country improved and the people seemed less depressed presently the road began to run by the feet of green hills with every nook carefully cultivated we stayed for luncheon at skeko a poor little town where the sight of europeans was evidently a rarity as we moved about looking at the shops the throng at our heels increased till it seemed that all the village had turned out an old woman was weaving with the assistance of some simple machinery as old as the first shogun she was pleased with the interest her work excited in the breast of the foreigner but as we stood and looked on the heat and pressure of the throng grew insupportable and we were glad to seek comparative privacy in the tea-house we had afternoon tea at a place called tsutiyama just as we were leaving one of my men's sandals broke he hardly stopped the procession to pull it off and was going ahead evidently intending to run the remaining ten or twelve miles with one bare foot i insisted upon buying him a pair of sandals which cost a penny the next day a man in one of the other jinrikishas lost his shoe and ran more than twenty miles barefooted without any sense of inconvenience much less of hardship in this district tea is largely grown the plant very much resembles an overgrown clump of box we crossed several rivers by bridges just now many sizes too large for them but that in due time these bare beds of gravel will be covered with rushing water is plain enough in some parts where the road stands high and dry above the bed of the river large slices have been cut away by the rushing tide this must have happened not later than july but gaps still stand making the road impassable for horse or bullock traffic the jinrikishas can just get past in some places by making a detour in others profiting by a perilous ridge of roadway that has remained with the exception of these accidents the road is a good one we slept at tagawa a pretty hamlet nestling at the foot of a hill the hills here are very curious being perfectly bare brown or red sandstone rocks standing up out of the greenery they are thoroughly japanese of the coolie class seeming to have got up in the morning and gone out without putting on any superfluous clothing in the early morning we toiled through the steep pass that winds its way through the hills and descending at a rapid trot reached otsu where we had tiffin within view of lake bewa here we found train for kyoto and gladly took it for it had been raining all the morning and the slow process of drying ito's clothes had been disastrously interrupted End of chapter three